Welcome to the Mike Unmuch Podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and I am here with my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Max, what's up? Uh, not much. I'm excited. Friday night, Julian's hanging out in the studio with us. Our good friend Julian is sitting on a chair judging uh, quietly. Or not paying attention at all. He's on Instagram. Yeah, he's not even looking up. We've got a great show today, actually. Before we get to the good stuff, I want to let everyone know that we have Just Rain on. He's a, a very popular YouTuber. He, um, he's a very funny guy. He's very uh, successful. Very entrepreneurial. Does. Yes, as you'll find out in the interview. But we'll get to him in a bit. First, Shane, what's been going on? Well, uh, as you know, Mike, uh, I think the results speak for themselves. We've been hitting the gym the last two days. <laughs> oh, well, what gym are you guys going to? Good Life. Oh, nice. That's Corporate discount. Ooh. We got the free bag. Cool. Yeah. It's I've true. been going to the gym lately, too. And You've I'm Mike's going? trainer. Oh, yeah. Shane's Mike's been training me. Really? How is Mike as a subject, like as a client? He's, he's good. He pays attention. Really? He's inquisitive. Really? And he's not that inquisitive. He just kind of does what he's told. Yeah. But he'll do what he's told. Oh, good. And and what's sort of like uh, how, curls? What are you at? 20? 20 pounds? 25? We're starting out. 15? S- smaller. Yeah. Like a ba- I'm holding rocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, baby steps. No, I, I mean, I... In this, you know, I feel like I've gotten to a point where I feel like a, like a big roly poly potato just nice. walking. My shirts don't fit anymore. I'm like, Mike, you've been burning the candle at both ends. You know, you're drinking the beers, you're eating the McDonald's, yeah. you're acting like a crazy man. You yeah. know, that's 19 years old. Well, every time you pass the mirror at the Good Life, you like mutter something about being soprano or something. I look like Tony Soprano. I go, <laughs> look at me. I'm like, oh, you can see my gut. It's like, it's, I look like Tony Soprano as we walk by the mirror. But the whole point is, uh, uh, I want to improve. You know, I want to get fit. I, I want to be healthy, Max. I you know I'm getting married and buying a house. It's like, you and know, if this ever gets uh, picked up into a TV show, we got to look really good because the camera adds those pounds. It's showbiz. And because I spent a little bit of time in uh, LA, I don't know if I told you that on an earlier <laughs> podcast, but everybody's hot down there. That's what we were up against. Your haircut is different, I've noticed. Yeah, you yeah. changed, man. I've been getting uh, getting some compliments on my hair. Are you straightening it or something? No, I just showered today and I put on a hat. It kind of screws okay. it up. It's more bit. like curly and crazy than usual. It looks good. Oh, thank that you. looks like a Chevello haircut. I don't know what that is. Where'd you go? I don't remember. Like oh, they did oh that, yeah. actually, I went to a place in Toronto on College Street, a place I never go to before, and it was like this really cool black dude, and he was like, but he's so nonchalant about it, and I got it cut before the day before our music video that we shot on the weekend and i was like you know just like just a tiny trim i kind of like it where it is right now just kind of clean up the sides and he did a like the first swoop was like a number one down the side he, he i was he like peed on you no <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> that is a hit place yeah, that is a hit place. i know they, uh, a lot of potty humor today <laughs> and uh he uh so i was like oh my god this is a fucking nightmare but then it totally turned out great i'm really happy with it but uh so anyway back to the gym uh, what I only, when I go to the gym, I only do vanity muscles. Like, you know, when people do squats and shit, like stuff on like weird muscles that no one cares about, I'm not interested in those ones. I only do chest, arms, abs. That's it. Yeah, that's pretty much what we do. We I do. just want to be slim. <laughs> yeah. Like Shane's uh, actually good. Like as a tra- like he actually's worked out for the last like decade. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. you work out and stuff. Yeah. I've never lifted a weight. Like yeah. I just play basketball and kind of hope that the metabolism takes care of itself. I'm but- the most annoying guy to work out with because I complain the whole time. Like our <laughs> friend Sean Dawson, he works me out, and my roommate Alex does sometimes too. And I'm just oh, and Julian too. Actually, Julian. Hey, yeah, Julian, actually, Julian seems like the best choice out of those candidates. Well, uh, Julian makes fun of me because he thinks I work out. Once a season, Max. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, once a season, uh, I get in my, like, 25 push-ups, and uh, I'm good to go. It works well, though. You're not fat by any means. No, but I think I could be... You know what's actually been really good, though? It's because Lauren has this f***ing eye issue. She, she's cut everything out of her diet, 
So you can get away with being a little chunky because she can't see you. Mm. <laughs> no, I was going the other way. That's oh, sorry. I was going to oh. say that we uh, just haven't been indulging in crappier food, so th- so I've been eating a little bit better lately. But anyway, it's Friday night, and uh, last Friday, actually, I had a fun night because uh, Birchall, we've talked about Birchall on the, the show. Nut, the as the, the nut, nut, as we like to Our call friend. it. Our friend. And uh, so last Friday, um, it, I was in Toronto because I had to be up very early for a music video shoot, and you guys were gone. Uh, Shane and I were at a cottage. Yeah, you guys were at a cottage. But the Raptors were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh, my God. Game of the year. Game of the year. And I wanted to go watch it. I wanted to do something. So I called up my friend Daniel. And you guys know Daniel. We play basketball. We play basketball. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, hey, Dan. He's a big basketball fan. So I was like, Dan, let's go watch the game. So we we agreed to watch the game. I'm thinking, oh, maybe Burchill, who works for MLSC, works for the Raptors, which at least can hook us up with tickets. So I text him. I was like, Burchill, can you get us tickets? He says, no, I can't get you tickets but I can get you one better. I'm like, ooh, what are, what are we talking here? He's like, I can get you into Share Club, which is the brand new nightclub in the Air Canada Center uh, where that Drake curated, and like it's like Share Club by Drake. It's named after Drake's grandma. You were there on I'm the very familiar, Wednesday. Max. Yeah, you're talking to a member. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you, need, you really need a membership there. And, um, the, and so I was like, okay. So I called Dan. I was like, Dan, are you into this? So we go in there, and it's exactly as you'd imagine, like a nightclub owned by like a massive international hip-hop superstar looks like. And like there are these girls that are like dressed up in these crazy outfits, and they seat us in the champagne room. And it's like literally we're by ourselves in this, sh- in this room with like white leather couches and a big screen TV, and we just keep on getting served free food, not free booze. So uh, virtual uh, the nut, comes to join us. I says, hey, I have tickets to the game, but I'm gonna come come see you. And then, he, and so he comes and hangs out, and he's like on full like work work guy mode. So he's sort of schmoozing with everybody there. He knows all the staff. He's like kissing people. They on their cheek. love him there. They love. He's sort of a celebrity in the. He building. really is. Yeah. And um and then his girlfriend Steph comes by. So it's like the four of us hanging out. Uh, the game is getting really good. It's like the third quarter. It's amazing. Fourth quarter. It's like like five six minutes left. Birchall still has not gone to his seats yet. He hasn't, and he and he says like, "I got 17th row seats." Oh, he's not using his. He's tickets. not using his tickets. So we watched the whole game in the share club. He did not go to his. He tickets, didn't utilize his tickets, and he didn't give them to us either. And then, but he, what he did give me was the bill. <laughs> wow, how much? It was, uh, and I wasn't even drinking because I had to be up at seven in the morning. Uh, I had like three drinks. Uh, Dan maybe had four drinks, and. Steph and Virgil uh, put their drinks on. Our, it was like $200, uh, $230 maybe. And this was supposed to be like a casual night where I was like, oh, let's just go to a bar, watch the game, like not even drink, like, ha- like have a little bit of food. And uh, we probably could have just got scalp tickets and actually got in the building. For two bills. Yeah, for two bills. But anyway, so that, that's my uh, that's my share club story. Speaking of going to Raptors game, Max, our guest today is Jess Rain. Yes. And you and I actually went to a basketball game with Jess Rain. We didn't really talk much that time. Yeah, we got invited to the, the box, the Bell Media box. Yeah. Oh, and the she, members of the pod got invited, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shane oh, was not. Geez. Oh, God. We should Why be. again, though? <laughs> so for context, Much and Bell invited a bunch of the creators to uh, a Raptors not game. Not all the creators. We're getting to that, Shane. <laughs> which we all thought was uh, awesome. But the thing is, there's only you can only have like 12 people in a box so they couldn't bring all three of us from the pie yeah so it ended up being max and i and uh we still haven't heard the end of it from shane you're yes. telling me one more guy mind you this is before i started slimming down and going to the gym couldn't have <laughs> squeezed into that box look we don't make the rules 
But anyway, we just followed. Them. We just yeah. ran was there. We didn't get a chance to really hang out with him that night, but we said we got to get you on the pod. We're in that box, and like girls were coming up to the box and taking photos of him. I know. Yeah, he's like a celebrity, and and, and in the interview you'll hear, it's like you can't even walk down the streets of Toronto without being you know accosted by teenagers. So in this interview, we talk about. All sorts of things. Uh, the business of being a YouTuber, how you generate revenue, how he comes up with creative ideas, how he tries to stay funny, his heroes growing up, what it was like growing up. We really get into sort of like what it's like to be him and how to run sort of a successful creative enterprise uh, and monetize it. The one uh, producer note is that he was actually just in the news because uh, he was flying out of LAX and they made him take off his turban and he felt very embarrassed and it made headlines all across uh Canada, basically. They f- with the wrong guy. Yeah. yeah, it was a very big story. But yeah. we did this interview, I think, like four days before. So we did not get a chance to ask him about that. We don't address it. Yeah. Um, but we did this late at night in the fancy boardroom at Much. He just showed up, no posse. By himself. Max, you were there for this one. I was. Great guy. Let's get to it. All right, well, let's start in Guelph. Let's do it. Okay. You grew up in Guelph. Oh, man. Yeah. That's, that's where we're starting. Uh, let's do it. Describe that. What was that like? That was uh, that was interesting because I was the only brown kid. Me and my brother was the only brownies uh, <laughs> in school. Uh, till up to like high school, I think we were the only like not, just like minorities. Period. Until up in high school, wow. so it was cool. And, and when you're younger, uh, so obviously I have a turban. If you guys don't know, and uh, when we were younger, we both had turbans as well, like little smaller turbans, and. Uh, <laughs> You don't grow into the turban. Bump turban. No, 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 no. It's like a tree every oh, year. Okay. New layer. Um, so yeah. So I mean, uh, as kids, like I don't think when you when you're kids, like people they don't really care about differences when you're kids. Kids are like, oh, what is that? And you're like, oh, it's this. Like, okay, cool. Let's go play in the sandbox. And it's out of the way. That's it. It's out of the kids. way. Like they don't. There's no. There's no distinction. There's no need for separation. Um, but then when they get older, you know, I think there's a actually kids when they're like 12 to 13 are like the worst. Sure. So. Um, at that time, it was like, and that's also when 9-11 happened. So that was like a crazy, crazy time. Because I got a lot of fights. I used to get in a lot of fights. Holy, this already turned into a really dark podcast. <laughs> Were the fights like you defending yourself to yeah. me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, So yeah. you weren't aggressively seeking out, but if somebody no, said no, 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 something. No. You, you know would... what? I was an extremely introverted kid. Like, very introverted. Uh, especially when I was younger. I was so shy. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Like, I had friends, but I was like, just just kept to myself type, type of guy. But... Um, uh, I remember when I was in seventh grade, and then this is when 9/11 happened. When I, that's when I was, I was, it was a grade seven, and uh, so that actually kind of made me get out of my shell a bit more, because that time kids are like crazy. They they say crazy things, and you know, I you you get thrown into situations which of you had to defend yourself. They right? think they're being patriots by like denouncing something, but they don't yeah. really understand anything. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So I mean, that that was that was that was like my pretty much my childhood. It was great. I mean, Guelph was a great town. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I have a lot of great memories there. Um, and it was, I think that's what, uh, kind of shaped the perspective that I have today, like living in Canada, because my family was like the traditional immigrant family, right? Like we had like, um, all of my uncles living in one house, four did, brothers. Were your parents, did your parents immigrate here? Are you my first generation? Were, I'm first generation. Okay. Yeah. So my parents came here in the, in the eighties, uh, mid eighties or late eighties. And then they had me. And then my brother like sponsored all his brothers over and then the grandparents and then their wives. So it was like literally a three bedroom house and there was like 17 people living in that house. I <laughs> right. Yeah. Until I was like seven. 
So there's like five people sleeping in each room. Like my parents and, and us, we slept in one room. Then another family and another, another family and another. So I was like, it was illegal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it was definitely yeah. illegal. Um, but, you know, that's how we survived for like the first seven years because we were just starting off and we had literally nothing. Like we had nothing. We were renting this like really shitty house. And, and then growing up in like, it was an okay neighborhood, but, you know, it's just... It wasn't like the best neighborhood. You know? Sure. But it, it, was, it wasn't the best neighborhood in Guelph, which is still an okay neighborhood yeah. compared to everything else. The rest of the world. Compared yeah. to like, yeah, I don't know, Jane and Finch or something, something <laughs> like that or, right. or something like that. So, so I was thankful for that. But uh, yeah, man, it was, a, it, was a, it was a really interesting experience because I got that. As a kid, like it was interesting. You don't really understand it when you were younger, but there was like you had like the traditional side at home and then you go to school and you try to fit in with the kids there. Um, and then you come home and you ask your parents, like, yo, my, these kids keep asking me this, this, this. And then you go to school and you face the same thing. So there's kind of like that. My parents are like, no, you just tell them that you have a mini term or you have long hair, like this is that. Because I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I grew up in a sick family. Yeah. So traditionally in a sick family, the men have long hair and they tie turbans. And so when I was younger, I didn't, that's what I was raised with. But then when I went to school, all the kids would be like, why don't you have a haircut? And that was kind of weird to me because I was like, oh, we don't, we don't do that. You know, we don't. That's that's like our, our I don't know what to say, and then I would just go home and ask the same questions. So it was like, like a lot a, of that. You're like a conduit uh, for information for both sides. Yeah, it's like you're sort of educating these kids at school, and then you're coming back, coming home back and home, sort of like bringing that, bringing culture. that culture back. Yeah, and there was obviously sometimes you get met with resistance from my parents, like, no, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, and it's like, okay, and then you go to school and you're like, why can't it? Like, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of that growing up. Sure, as did, a kid. did you find that difficult to sort this of this podcast? Like, really started off. <laughs> is this how it is? Usually? It's how it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Should... yeah, I mean, did you find it difficult to toggle between the two? It was difficult because, like, even the simple concept of a haircut is, like, such a normal thing to you guys, right? But you never to, think twice about it. Never think twice about it. But to me, it was like, oh, I've, ne I've never cut my hair. It's always been long, right? And so it's like finding that interesting balance where people are like, what? Like, you never cut your hair? I'm like, yeah, it's normal to me. And then you guys having a haircut is normal to me or like not it, it became normal to me being around you guys but like that's just one little concept sure and there's food then there's language and there's everything else. It to all. like when I went to kindergarten I didn't know a lick of English oh, I knew really? broken words and I was born in Canada yeah. wow because you grew up in that home I grew up in that home nobody was speaking English nobody was speaking English the only time that I would ever hear English was on the television so when I'd watch like like Big Comfy Couch or sure. Street yeah. Things like that. So that's what my dad. I talk uh, about this in my stand-up. So really? Yeah, I do. It's really funny. My dad uh, immigrated. He was born on a boat passing Singapore from, uh, and so he lived in um, Amsterdam for a long time. But he learned English watching Roy Rogers. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it was like these American television shows. That yeah. He came to Canada. It was like yeah. he was able to kind of speak it from watching these TV shows. And I remember being in kindergarten and speaking English and Punjabi at the same time, and I didn't know the difference between the two languages. <laughs> oh, you'd like oscillate between? I would oscillate between the two because I'd be like, oh, these are white people, so let me speak English, but then I'd also mix in Punjabi because I didn't know the, the English substitute for those words. And so I remember my kindergarten teacher having a sit down with my parents and was like, hey, listen, your kid speaks your language here and like nobody knows what the hell he's talking about, but then he also kind of knows English too. So they had to throw me in ESL and all that stuff. So, but I mean, yeah, it was like a very interesting, like now that I look back at it, I'm like, wow, it was such a like, it's crazy. It was like an interesting experience. Like, I, was like experience a, I was a social experiment. Yeah. Pretty much. Like this you is the result my life. of everything. This is the result what I am now. Yeah. Um, what did your parents do for a living? Uh, my parents both had uh, labor jobs and they couldn't get proper jobs here. Even though they're both educated. So they had their degrees. They, they had their degrees. Work. My dad had his degree. He had an agricultural engineering degree. Uh, but he couldn't do anything with that here. 
Uh, my mom as well. Uh, I forgot what she had, but when they came here, they couldn't. There's no way no one was getting them a job. And I remember at that time, um, it was hard for my dad to get a job anywhere because he had a turban and a beard. And it was like kind of a normal thing not to give you a job because of that. Because I was like, oh no, you have to be professional in this workspace. So you need to be a clean shaven guy. I remember a lot of people telling my dad. Like it was an acceptable barrier. Yeah, it was. At that it time. wasn't like. Oh, we're not being racist. It's just that's just the policy around this work. Like you got to be like this. You can't look like that. And it was still okay at that time. Like I remember my 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 uncle, who's the first one in our family that came uh, to Canada in in the '60s, and uh, I think he graduated from University of Guelph in '64. So he was like the only like Indian looking dude at that time. And I remember like it was such a normal thing where he was being promoted to assistant dean at the University of Guelph because they, they had like fully funded his scholarship and paid for him to come out. He was like a genius in India. He was like super smart and he came here and he got fully educated, he got his PhD and he, even he couldn't get any jobs. Wow. After having the education here, he couldn't get any jobs and he opened up a gas station in Guelph and that's what he did. Like he, he, he was a, you have a super smart man that the university paid for him to come out and he was like top of his class, everything, but he couldn't get a job because of how he looked. And he didn't compromise that either. And like I remember one of the stories he was telling me, he got like a really, uh, really high job title. I, I forgot what it was. I think it was with the university. And before they accepted, like, yeah, everything's good, but we just need you to, to get rid of it. And he was telling me the story where he just ripped off the papers. And further, he's like, yo, I'm just going to do whatever I need to do and just keep those. I'll strike out on my own and do it yeah, myself. Yeah, and, and, and not give up, you know, like what, what, what this means to me. So, so you know, a lot of this, these times with like, you know, I guess first generation Canadians, you know, your parents come over, you're saying they can't, you know, their education, they're educated, they have to take labor jobs. Yeah. I'd read somewhere that, you know, your parents had some pretty, uh, like, serious ambitions for you because I think that's sort of, oh, like, yeah. we go somewhere to make a better life. We that's want our it. children to have these sort of, you know, these educational jobs or yeah. these jobs where they get educated, become doctors. Yeah. What did they have? My in mind? parents, since I went to like kindergarten, were like, I can't, we can't wait for you to grow up and become a doctor. <laughs> like, they would say, like, you're so patient. My mom would, Constantly instill that in me, like, you're very patient, you know, you'll get to be good with people. I can't wait till you be a doctor, and then you're going to have money, and, and everyone's going to be well off. Like, that was their ambition, because they were like, we c couldn't do it. Like, there's, there's so many forces working against us that we can't do it, so it's up to our kids. We're making these sacrifices. We're making so these sacrifices the so the kids can, can, like, live that life. And that's, like, a huge, huge sacrifice. That's not just my parents, but so many immigrant parents have made. Sure. And this is something that even Aziz talked about in the show. Uh, you guys, you guys yeah, you're yeah, yeah. mentioning this. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. yeah, there's like episode two or something as parents, and that hit so hard with me because I'm like, man, like everybody can relate to that, like them giving up a certain amount of their life and then having to, to be like, yo, I want my kids to be successful. So. Well, the flip side of that is, I mean, was it difficult for you to defy those expectations and to basically do what you're doing now? I mean, it, it, it absolutely was. Um, I remember I wanted to go to film school. And that was like a huge passion of mine when I was in high school. Like I like making films. I would enter them into, into film competitions and things like that. And we would win a bunch of them because a lot of them were like comedy films and it would just be ridiculous and funny and people would just enjoy it a lot. And that's like 05 or 06 when I was in like 10, 11, grade 10, 11. And so I was like, yeah, I'm good at this. Like I want to I wanna do this. I want to go to film school. So I remember applying to film school and telling my dad and he was like, There's, what are you going to, like what do you, you're just, you're, your life is going to end up like mine. He's like, you have a degree be, and have to get a labor job. Yeah, he's like, you're going to have to work in a factory like me. He's like, why, why would you waste all this money and time to do that? Why not do something that you're guaranteed that you're going to make money from? And I was like, okay, I guess that's fair. 
like seventy year old me, I was like, damn, okay, that sucks. So I went into biomed for one year and I couldn't stand it. Like I was, I was good at sciences, but I, my heart wasn't in it. Sure. I mean, did, were you always sort of a creative? And I mean, always. And that's also partly my dad's fault too, not his fault, but that's his his doing because he's been so passionate about music that he put me and my brother in Indian classical music when we were like four and five. Okay. So we've been trained in Indian classical music since then. So I think that side or that upbringing kind of helped shape my left brain more and, yep. and kind of think more creatively and, and think on, on, on that, I guess, that, that creative side way more than, than doing anything else. So, so when I told my dad, I'm like, hey, it's your fault that I'm doing what I'm doing because I, you, you shaped my brain to become creative. And that's the same with my brother. Like my brother, who was also trained, in, is now an artist. And my other brother is trying to figure out what he wants to do, but I think he's leading towards fashion and designing, things like that. So, so you're all sort of creative and pursuing yeah, the that's, arts in some way or another. That's all. That's what we want to do. And, and, and Are your parents funny people? I mean, do they like... My dad's pretty funny. Yeah, my dad's funny uh, when, when uh, he doesn't have to be a dad. Okay. <laughs> he takes yeah. off the dad hat. Yeah, when he takes off the dad hat, he doesn't have to be he's a strict father. He's not strict, but he's, he's a cool dad. But like, you know, when, when he's... Now that I'm older and we, we have that relationship where it's more more so like it's not like a father son relationship, it's like kind of like a like a friend relationship or a Yeah, you're becoming peers. Exactly. You right. Know. There's a there's a term in our in, in, in the Punjabi language it's roughly translates to when when the shoe size of your son matches your father's. It's like that's when you become peers and that's when you become friends. Wow. It sounds so lame in English. <laughs> yeah, that was inspiring. Um, it's just, it sounds a little better in Punjabi, but it just sounds, yeah. The, um, I mean, growing up, uh, did you have any heroes as far as like comedy goes? Were you an SNL guy? Was there any movies? Was there like... Yeah. Uh, I think I, I first really, really got into the comedy scene, I guess. When was this? Like the first, like SNL, I used to watch Mad TV. I used to love. Oh yeah. Oh, I was a huge Mad TV fan, and I got to work with Will Sasso actually recently, and Alex Bernstein. Okay. And so that was like an unreal experience because I was like, yo, I was I was a kid and I watched you guys, and like Will Sasso, I was like, yo, I used to think you were the funniest dude. Still do. Still hilarious guy. The the the, the lemon vinyl uh, vines. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Like any, on any platform, he's so funny. Yeah. So I used to watch Mad TV a lot, and then uh, SNL I used to watch a lot as well. Um, one of the shows that really, really inspired me to do what I'm doing now is the Chappelle show. Okay. Yeah. That was like, I had never seen a show like that where I was so hooked and so just in awe with every single skit and every single piece of content that came from that show. I was just blown away by it. I was and amazed. That show also wasn't afraid to tackle like racial no, issues and wasn't. sort of go to uncomfortable places but yeah. still be hilarious. But did it in such a funny way. Yeah. It was like, I think that was something that... I personally could relate to because I had been a minority growing up where I was and, and I could identify myself with, with a culture or with other cultures that were similar, that kind of faced a similar type of struggle, right? So me being able to identify with um, Indian music and, and Punjabi music and Indian classical music, but also being able to identify with hip hop yeah. or being able to identify with R&B was like such a huge thing for me because it sounded, there's so many similarities with Indian classical and hip hop. I mean, sorry, R&B and, and Punjabi music and Pangra and hip hop, sorry. Um, so me being able to identify with these cultures, uh, and then that's why the Chappelle show was like huge for me. Like I, it was, it's one of the most, it's probably one of the most, Chappelle is probably one of the most influential characters in my life, like influential figures in my life. Mm. And, uh, so I mean, did you manage to go see him at the uh, Danforth? Dude, you know what it was? I had tickets, but I was at the, the Duncom. Oh, all right. So I thought the Duncom was, will be, I was like, yeah, it'll be finished by like. 9.45. At least you got to see, like, an all-timer of a dunk competition. 
Oh, it was amazing. It was like right? one of the best since Carter. So I'm not mad. But we're I was huge kind NBA of fans. Like, yeah. Right. It was like, it was, oh, it was. I, so I'm not, I'm not sad that I missed it. But I did get to see him on stage during one of the True North parties. And as soon as I saw him, I was like, yo, Chappelle. And he like looked over <laughs> at me. I'm like, and I just started bowing. I'm like, yo, you're a god, man. You're a god. He's like, thank you, man. Thank you. And I'm like, I wish the stage wasn't here so I could just have five minutes to talk just to you chat. and just tell you, like, the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing today is largely in part because of you. And, like, I just, I, to, to, to be able to have that opportunity, I think, would be amazing. So hopefully one day I still get to have that opportunity. Speaking of what you're doing today, yeah. you have this massive YouTube channel. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting that, like, YouTube's become this sort of thing where creators like yourself can sort of make, like, have this viable business, you yeah, know, and yeah. basically have a platform to be creative. Mm -hmm. um, do you remember the moment where it was like, oh, shit, this is like a tangible career. Like, I can actually, like, earn a living yeah. and sort of be heard. Was there a moment or, like, when yeah. did you start to discover this? I think, uh, so I started this when I was in university. And when I started paying my own tuition, and I was like, okay, tuition, then my books. Not even my books, it was like my bills, like my cell phone, car, gas, all that stuff. And then just being able to help out around the house, I was like, well, this is like turning into something that I might, could possibly make money off. Yeah. But I was still very unsure because I wasn't making enough to be able to sustain myself. So especially when I finished school, I was in this like crazy, like dilemma. I'm like, all right, I'm at this huge fork in my road. Do I continue with YouTube? Because a majority of my audience is South Asian. And a lot of the South Asians are, are not, it's not just Indian, it's not India South Asians for the most part. It's the ones that live abroad. That are, that are able to relate to me and I'm making content that strictly only relates to them and I don't think I can sustain myself off of that unless I start changing things up a bit or to people do to people domestically yeah to be appeal to everyone okay because initially a lot of my videos only appeal to South Asians only South Asians you about my videos pre like 2013 yeah and so that was like a decision I had to make I'm like okay so do I do that or do I get a job as I'm doing this or how would it be weird if I go into work and people are like, you make these videos and I'm in this office job. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. I didn't want to do that. So I was like, it's pretty much in a predicament where my, even my parents were like, what are you going to do? Like, either you're going to keep making videos and start making proper money or you have to get a job. Like, you can't just like... Which could take away from you creating and having time for these creating. videos. So that was like a really tough position in my life where I was like, okay, I got, I got this fork in the roll where I got to pick. Like, either I really strap down and start doing YouTube. Um... Or just like get a job and like call it quits. Even though YouTube and YouTube creators have become so sort of like mainstream and popular, I think yeah. for a lot of people at large, like I think people are confused as to how like it can even be monetized. Is it yeah. all in ads? Is it like how? What's the business? No, model? it's 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 not just all in ads. Um, it's the thing with me was like I think I have had a little bit of a business background because I went to business school. So um, actually, I think my YouTube helped my business school more so than anything else because I would do presentations like a YouTube video. And so, like, kids in my class would be like, oh, my God, yes, that kid's in my class. I can't wait to see his presentation. Or people would be like, yo, can I be in this guy's group? Because, like, the presentation, I would just, like, make sure that no one fell asleep. That was my th theory. It's like, if a presentation doesn't make you fall asleep, because I would fall asleep during everyone's presentations. Yep. And anybody that did not make me fall asleep, I was like, that was a good presentation. So I was like, my key is not to make anybody fall asleep during presentations. And that's the same when I write papers and stuff like that. So I think that helped me in that case. But with the job of YouTube, it's not just – it's become – when you're when you're a creator or when you're like an influencer or, or a con I don't know like a comedian or something sure. like that on the internet, it's not just YouTube. So I don't just do YouTube anymore, and that's kind of developed into way more different things. Like I've been able to establish a strong foothold on all different social media, not just YouTube, and that was kind of a challenging thing because 
Vine was like a six second thing. There was either you were a Viner or you were a YouTuber, yeah. right? And there was like this, this huge divide and there was not many people that were able to cross over because either you can make long form content or you just do short form content, but you can't do long form. So I was like, that was a challenge for me. So I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna also do Vine too. And then Snapchat rolled around, I'm like, I'm gonna do that as well. And it kind of be established on all these platforms. And so that was like something I strive for as well. So, I mean, there's, there's merchandising, okay. there's AdSense, there's doing shows. So I, I travel a lot. I host a lot. I used to host a lot of shows and things like that. So now I'm starting to do you're my selling own tickets to people to come see you live. Well, you before it was coming to see a show that I would host, like whether it be okay, a culture show, show um, a dance show, a competition, anything like that. Like I would host some, or like a, a wedding. I've done weddings, sure. or like random things like that where you're just required to be a host. And when I did that on stage, at first I sucked because it's such a different thing from being on YouTube because you can edit anything you want. You'd be like, yeah, I'm hilarious. Yeah, I can just throw anything online, but I can shoot it five times and I'm like, okay, I like that take better. Cut it off together. I'm like, ah, I don't like that. Delete that out. But when you're doing it live, you, you got to be funny. Like one there's, shot. You get, yeah, it's one shot. It's like you can't not be funny. So I remember I used to do a lot of shows and the first few times, like, I remember bombing. I remember people booing me and I was like, man, I don't know. I should just stick to YouTube instead. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being on stage. I think it's because I was a kid too. I used to do a lot of music on stage. Me and my brother, we used to be on a lot of stages performing live. So I enjoyed being on stage. And I enjoyed that rush. Um, so I think me hosting shows kind of like prepped me for that a little bit. And then I did my first ever stand-up I remember I did with Comedy Central. Or Comedy Network, sorry. Not Comedy Central. Network. Like yeah. taped. No, no, it wasn't taped. They okay. were like, they threw this night where they invited like six YouTubers. And they're like, let's see if you can be funny in real life. That's cool. So they all gave us like a 10-minute set to, to do on stage. And we did it. And uh, I was like, wow, I, I kind of did really well on this. And I, I really enjoyed it. So now I've, I've been doing my own shows uh, I'm doing a bunch of university uh, shows right now. I'm going to be doing Algonquin and Waterloo and uh, uh, Sheridan. Tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's 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 more you know so like... Rooms. Yeah. He's played all yeah. rooms. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, I mean, it's interesting. So like to this point now, obviously, like, you're able to go to these rooms. You're able to play these rooms. Um, I have a friend, actually. We have a friend that works at the... Uh, he works with MLSE. Yeah. And he was saying, as a couple months ago... He was like, oh, you know Just Rain? He's yeah. like doing the munch. I'm like, yeah. He's like, that dude was in here. I don't know if it was a Raptors game or a concert. And he's like, and he's walking through the halls. He's like, dude's like a f superstar. Like all these kids yeah. are sort of running up. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you kind of got recognized? Was that kind of the moment where you're like, oh shit, things are happening? Yeah, there's been levels. So the first time I ever got recognized was at this, uh, when I was in university, it was like, they, there used to be these organizations in university called the Punjabi Student Association. So all the Punjabi kids used to get together and they used to throw this big formal, so all the MAC, and Western, and Waterloo, they used to come to one banquet hall and just dance and have a party. So I remember going to that and then just instantly people be like, oh my God, that's the guy from YouTube, that's just right, that's just right. And that was the first time that I was like, people were asking pictures and I was like, geez, this is, this is insane, this is crazy. And then, so there's different levels to that. And then I started getting recognized when I go to other cities and started doing shows like that. Um, and then, it was only South Asians at first. And I think over the past year, year and a half, it's been, it's like everyone now. It's like- It's growing. It's growing. It's, it's just, it's not just South Asians that recognize me anymore. It's like people of all different backgrounds. They're like, yo, we love your videos. I'm like, that's crazy because you, I'm, you're just coming from a perspective of a South Asian dude growing up in Canada. And a lot of the content that I talk about is like, you know, it relates to my life and growing up. And they're like, no, we can relate to it. Like we watch your videos and it just like we, we see like 
you're just you're just like us. That's that's one thing that I've gotten from people. It's like you're just like us. Like you guys universal. are just like us. Yeah, it's the like universal we, experience. We understand. It's like we thought you guys were totally different. Like this is the same thing. We go through the same thing. And I'm like, damn, that's 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 crazy. And that's that's a beautiful message to kind of get across because I think there's a lot of this fear and paranoia post 9/11, especially with with I guess brown skin and, and a beard and a turban. Sure. It wasn't always. Every time you would switch on the TV, the only time you would see a turban and a beard on on TV was like dudes in a cave yelling about some crazy shit and you know it's stereotypes like, yeah right uh, CNN Fox so it's like people automatically associated you with that so being able to break those stereotypes through a, through comedy it was like such a cool experience and, it, and it's like such a beautiful experience and that's why I encourage a lot of South Asians to kind of get into this field and, and start building in this field um, to kind of break those stereotypes or stigmas that that still might be held. <coughs> Trump. Yeah, uh, exactly. Think, yeah. That's a disaster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, like you said, it's pretty remarkable to get to a point where it's like, you don't even see the turban anymore. It's just a funny person. Yeah. No, it's like, like Toronto is the craziest. Like, I, I cannot walk the streets of Toronto anymore without getting stopped. I remember going to, like, the ACC is, I remember going to the ACC uh, for Drake's concert that he had last year. And I, I was getting mobbed. There was like literally a group of a hundred just chasing me throughout the ACC as I'm trying to get to my seat. And that was the first time that I felt really overwhelmed. I was like, whoa, listen guys, like I love you guys, but you just need to give me my space a little bit here. Cause it was insane. Like the amount of people, like people were ripping my shirt and just, I was like, am I Bieber? Like what is, what is I'm like, dude, this is a Drake. I was like, am I Bieber? What's going on? So I remember even being in my seat and there was a lineup like people just finding my section and just lining up to come through and take a picture. And I remember my friends that were with me were like super annoyed. They're like, ah, oh, remind us never to go anywhere with you again, especially a concert because we can't enjoy it. Like some like drunk dudes were like sitting on my friend's lap, spilling their beer. And they were just like, yo, what the hell? Like people almost got in a scrap. Like, <laughs> it was insane. And that at that point, I was like, this isn't like this. I'm not. I don't feel like I always have felt like a regular dude, but I'm like, I don't think I'm a regular dude anymore. Like I can't just walk around it's shifted. and do regular people things like I used to be able to. And having that realization at that point, I was like, damn, like this is, this has gone to another level. Like this is, this is crazy. I did not expect this to get this level at all. Cause I'm like, it's, it's more than just Brown people. At first I was like, oh, it's a Brown person. He'll know who I am. But it's like now everybody knows. And that's like insane. Um, YouTubers are incredibly entrepreneurial. Yes. You were saying you had a business background. Yes. What does a typical day look like for you? Start to finish. Every day is different. So I have, I mean, like I said, we have merchandise. I do, I do vlogging. I do YouTubing. I do um, all the different social media platforms as well. A lot of companies that would want to work with you and come up with interesting campaigns. We do a lot of that. I'm invested in property. <laughs> I do everything, man. I have, oh, wow. I have property that I have like invested in back in Guelph. I have houses that I ran out to, to like I've, I've spread my money everywhere um, into apps. I've invested into apps. Um, I've invested into, jeez, I don't even know. It's like so many different things that I've, like my thing is like always try to keep at least six or seven different streams of income coming in. And that's the way I want to set up my brand. Like, like why can't it be 10? Why can't it be like sure. so many different? But that takes a lot out of you. It takes time. It so, takes I mean, so you got to get up early. It's like you're trying to yeah. be creative. You're writing, you're yeah. vlogging, you're yeah. writing a sketch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what you're checking on investments, you're talking to people. Like, I mean, is this like uh, you wake up at seven and you go right till you go to bed or is it like yeah, pretty a- much, pretty much. So like every day is different. Like one day I'll have a show or one day I'll have an event to go to, or I'll be editing all day. Like one time I'll be like, I shot a video. I just got to edit all day. This Still cut your own stuff? Cut, cut my own stuff. Yeah. For the most part. Um, and it's like every day there's, there's a different thing that you have to do and, and a different schedule that you have to follow. But 
there's like I always create these like tasks every day. I'm like, I gotta get this, 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 this done today, and then that's all right. This is my thing. But it's more so thinking long term. So it's like these are my long term goals, and then daily I have like or weekly I have like yo these are things that I gotta finish up. So it's pretty much you're your own business. And, you know, a lot of my friends, a couple of my friends I've, I've hired to work with me now that, that do their stuff. These are the people that I've grown up with or, or friends that I met throughout right. school. And now they're working with me too, right? So I, I personally like to care, take care of, like, all the creative stuff. And then I'll get, like, my buddies to take care of, like, the more tedious sure. numbers and business and all that nonsense. So. Um, I mean, with that sort of business mind and obviously all the opportunities that being, you know, a YouTuber and a creative uh, as provided – you're now working with Much as like a partnership on yeah. the creatives that were kind of a part of all that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, when a big company like Bell comes along or a brand like Much and they want to sort yeah. of get into business with you, yeah. as a creative, is there any like trepidation? Are you kind of like weary of what that is? Is that something that you seek out or are yeah. you kind of concerned that maybe they're going to try to change creative? Like what was your thought process when they came knocking? So when they came knocking at first, I was like, wait, is Much turning into a... Like, what happened to the much music days that I grew up with, right? Like, sure. And that's, that's crazy that that whole paradigm has shifted. Like, I remember much music as a kid, as like going there to watch music videos and, and watching uh, Rhapsody. I think, what was it called? Rhapsody? Yeah, Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah. Rhapsody. Um, and watching, just like watching all the VJs, watching when the, when the Backstreet Boys came in, totally. when Hanson came in. You remember, remember those days? They so open up the windows. Open up the like windows. We had huge interactives crowd, right? and live at much. So I'm like, that, that's, that's what much music was to me always. And I hadn't even realized that that had shifted. Become like more comedy. Yeah, because I stopped watching TV. And I'm like, maybe that's why they shifted. Because I've stopped watching TV. A lot of people have gone away from it online now. So at first I was like, yeah, that's a very smart move. But I don't know if I'm, I'm allowed to say this. Will they scrutinize me? We talk about all sorts of stuff. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> like my thing is like, I, as, a, as a creative the one thing every creative is passionate about or like is very protective over is their own creativity and how it turns out in their brand, I guess. I don't even like using the word brand. But uh-huh. like, I guess their creative, their art, right? So they're very protective over their art. Um, and when you get involved, even in like big sponsor deals or working alongside with companies to do a, a partnership, anything like that, there's always this sense of like, okay, I hope I don't have to compromise any of my art to, to like, I hope it doesn't come across too corporate or too forced or anything like that. So that's always one concern that I always have. But I always try to make that clear. I'm like, listen, guys, if you're working with me or if any company or any brand is working with me, you're working with me because of what I do. So you want that. You don't want to change any of that or you don't want to kind of, uh, I guess, alter that message that I have to put out or alter that art or that content or that creative thinking that I have, you don't want to alter that because then it's not going to be beneficial for you. At the end of the day, people are going to be like, what the hell? oh man, this is like a sellout, forced nonsense, you know, give me my money back, bullshit. And, and, and you don't, and you don't want people, your own audience turning on YouTube being like, what the hell? Like, this isn't funny. This is like so corporate of you. This and they can so smell funny. it. It's like, oh, they're doing people this People on YouTube can for- smell it like from a mile, especially my audience. I think a lot of the people that watch me are, are, are pretty smart because I, I, I do a lot of like parodies or things like that, or or, or even like I've called out some YouTubers and fun, like Sam Pepper. I called him out when he did that that sexual harassment prank, and I did a murder prank, and then he actually did a murder prank like a year and a half later. <laughs> so like I've called out bullshit on YouTube. So a lot of the a lot of the people that do watch me, I think, are very they got that bullshit meter. They're like, yo, we like we like you because you keep a lot of stuff real. Like yep. your, your comedy is real, your content is real. You touch on real issues, but in a funny way. So if you're doing like something that's totally forced, like they will smell it. Up. 
it and they'll be like what is this like what are you like what are you doing right come on like we understand but oh come on so you got to be very wary of that that was the main appeal of, I think, a lot of creators or YouTubers is the authenticity. That's what people are sort of, exactly. you know, that's what that's the brand ultimately exactly. is the authenticity. Exactly. Speaking of uh, YouTubers, um, is there competitiveness? On YouTube? With other YouTubers. I mean, are you friendly with them? Is it like, oh, hey, we're all in this together, we're all in the same business? Or is there a bit of like, a, I want to beat that guy, I yeah. want to crush that girl, I, I got these numbers. <laughs> you know what? They're, um, they're absolutely, there, there is a sense of like, come on, like, because there's this, there's this term called hashtag team internet. Okay. So a lot of people do have this sense of like brotherhood or sisterhood, you know, amongst YouTubers. Because it's like, you know, we all, we all started in the same way. And now we're entering these bigger platforms with no middleman. Like we didn't get cast by an agent or we didn't get thrown to a show. We did this ourselves and now we're getting these opportunities. So anytime someone gets a crazy opportunity like a movie or, or t a television show or being... Um, I don't know, a host on MMVA red carpets. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a cool opportunity because like, yo, that guy started like me and, and, and this means it's only, at the end of the day, it's only beneficial for, for YouTubers that are making it big to, to kind of be like, yo, this is, this is opening up the doors for a lot of us and other companies will begin to understand or other big um, agencies or corporations or, or media companies will understand the value of a YouTuber and like, these content creators. Yeah, high tide rises all boats. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Feel free to use that. <laughs> so many inspirational quotes here. Um, but there definitely is a sense of competitiveness. And sometimes it's friendly competition. And then sometimes it can get very vicious. I know for one thing, and this is something that I haven't really spoken on. So you guys are getting exclusives. I love it. Um, especially within the South Asian community, there's been a few YouTubers that have come out um, that were like kind of like the YouTubers, the brown YouTubers, right? And, and at first, we were all tight-knit and together and, and all that stuff. But I think when, especially when you come from a smaller community, um, people always are gonna compare all the other YouTubers and comparison kills. Like, comparison kills creativity, I believe. And there's a, there's a difference between friendly competition, which kind of uh, helps putting out different content. It's like, like, oh man, that guy does something crazy. Like, I wanna do something just crazy. Or like, they're setting the bar really high. But if it's friendly, like, I think that's very healthy. But when you do comparisons and kind of uh, bash someone else for not being like somebody else or, or, or anything like that, that can really affect a creator's mind. And I've seen that happen to, to people, especially within my community, which is a really sucky thing because there's been so many talented people that have come out and that might not have gone to the level they did because of, you know, the pressure or, or uh, people in the community kind of feeding them the wrong thing to, to think the wrong way and kind of poison them. And Getting in their heads. Exactly. So then they're resentful. They're no longer just focusing exactly. on their creative. And that's happened to a lot of people. That, that slightly happened to me too because people would be like, oh, this person's, you know, they're, they're passing subscribers. Like they're going to get all your opportunities. And when people tell you that stuff, that really poisons your mentality. And you're like, you don't want to hear that, right? Because you want to be able to be like, this is, this is dope as someone that came from the South Asian community is now doing this or now they're doing this. This is, this is only a better look for all of our South Asians because there's only like five of us as it is right now. Like there's Mindy, Aziz, Russell, the guy from Big Bang. Uh, who else? I don't even know. Like, right. right. Like that's the only Indians I can count that are like actually doing something in the, in the mainstream media. So as, as a mentality, I've, I've learned to, I, it, it took me a while to learn that, and I think that's that's one of the lessons that I'm glad I learned earlier on in my YouTube career. Um, to be like, uh, as a movement, like this is like you said, high high waves gonna get the boat 
faster sailing. Yeah, nailed it. Nailed it. High, <laughs> high tide. Big water over. gonna ba- fast speedboat. Canoe. Yes. Yes. Canoe fast on the water, yeah. tall. <laughs> so uh, I think that was a very valuable lesson that I'm, I'm, I'm proud that I le- I'm, I'm happy that I learned earlier on as opposed to later on because that these that type of mentality can poison and that's like with every industry. If Absolutely. Friendly competition, I think, is great, but when it comes to like really a negative comparison or, or kind of destroying somebody else's creation because like oh this person did something better even though that person's content was dope to begin with uh i think it's very poisonous so you'll have some of that on youtube and then there's people that there's some people on youtube that don't get along but that's with every industry man you'll have that in the music industry the entertainment industry so it's as it's human being accountant office and two people are going to it's human nature it's human nature to happen so but for the most part i feel like a lot of people are generally tend to get along there's not that much drama on youtube um so YouTube obviously has become very mainstream and people are getting these opportunities. You being in it, are you someone that's sort of looking to what's next? Like what's the next platform? What's my next move? Yeah. Um, what do you I've, think that is? Uh, so I've always looked at YouTube as a resume. So I've, I've always seen it as like, hey, this is what I can make. I'm, I write all my own stuff. I direct all my own stuff. Um, I, sh- I shoot it, I edit it, everything. Like from the whole process, a lot of it is is like my creation. So it's like my resume is like this is stuff I can create. I can create dope, funny, cool shit that people would like watching. And and this is like this is what I have to offer. So I've always looked at YouTube like that because my long term trajectory has always been like I want to be one of the biggest stand up comedians, or I want to be have like a, a, t- a hilarious TV show. I want to have uh, feature length films that are Hilarious. Can I swear on this? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Fucking hilarious, right? Like that's always been my trajectory. Is like I want to make, I want to make content with bigger budgets and 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 you know, uh, bigger crews and just just allow me to do something that I just can't do in my parents' basement with my camera, right? Like I want to do crazy shit. So I've always looked at YouTube as my resume to show people that I'm capable of doing something and and allowing that to happen. And so thankfully, uh, this year I got. A few projects up my sleeve that are, are going to be way more bigger budget, um, bigger scale, and and I think this year, especially last year, was kind of like last year was amazing for me because that was really a lot of growth for me happened in the past year, and a lot of like kind of getting into the mainstream eye, like being like like even signing with Much or getting all these opportunities, I was really thrust into the mainstream light. And it was like, all right, you're there now. Like, now you got to show people what you can do. So I'm, I'm there, and now I'm like, okay, I got to create not just YouTube videos. I got to make something bigger than that. I got to make like crazier shit that's going to be watched on a global scale, and people are going to be like, holy shit, like, this is amazing. So, yeah. So you're not going to tell us what it is? <laughs> I, I can't right now. That would be great for us in our business. <laughs> hey, hey. you know what? It's just, <laughs> yeah. Contracts are being negotiated right now and all that nonsense, so I can't really. Yeah, I can't really, I can't really talk too, too, too much about it. But expect a couple, and I don't, I don't want to jinx anything either because you know yeah. something. Times yeah, you you'll shoot a pilot and it might not get greenlit. So I don't want to do any of that. So I'm like, yo, I, I will make stuff, but until it's like official, official, then yeah. I'll say it. But yeah. Now we are in what Max likes to call the dessert. This is where Shane comes on and he talks about maybe a movie or some music and he's supposed to review it what do you got for us shane and and let's not talk about your personal life let's get right to the hey i think his personal life has always yes. been very very interesting okay. but i am a pop culture aficionado good so i should stick to that <laughs> but 
uh, with all things being fair in mind, I've created a For list. For our listeners, that was our fourth take of that opens. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounded a little weird. It's because it was weird. But I've created a list, Max, weirdness aside, and you guys can pick oh, good. You know what we want to talk about. Because I don't wow. know. Sometimes I'm just boring people, probably, and uh, there's better stuff to talk about. Yeah. Here's okay. what we'll do, though. Sorry. Yeah. We get to pick? Yeah. So because this is a vote and yeah. there's two of us, but we happen to have our friend Julian here. He's yeah. the tiebreaker. Julian is the tiebreaker. Okay. Good. All right. Okay. What do we got? Working out with Mike, we've covered. Yeah. Okay. The Nut uh, got me into a Who concert. Ooh. The Nut's making a lot of, yes. uh, a lot of moves on the show. Yeah. I saw the film Brooklyn. Okay. I saw the film Room. Uh, I recently cashed a check from this podcast and splurged on a lavish gift for my girlfriend that cost... Upwards of $1,000. Want to know what that Whoa. is, anyone? Well, we'll have to see if it gets picked. Uh, <laughs> I've already said pissing out my ass. Okay. I'm <laughs> I'm getting uh, a tattoo tomorrow with my sister, matching tattoos. Come on. Okay. Wow, that's a lot on the docket. Okay, okay uh, let's narrow it down. It's going to be who, the gift, or the sister? Because the room in Brooklyn. Yeah, who cares about that stuff? Room is Old fantastic. News. One of the best movies of the year. Brooklyn's very good. Bring a date. That's all you need to know. Let's just get back and do yeah. his life. So I, can we do have time for all three? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Okay. Um, let, let's start with um, Julian. What do you want to hear first? The gift is going to complicate my life more, so let's get it over with first. Okay. Let's, the let's do the gift. For those of you that didn't hear it, because he's a little bit off the mics, he said whatever gift you bought for over $1,000 is going to complicate his life more. Yeah, because whenever one of the boyfriends in our group of friends pulls out a big move like that, it always causes havoc for the rest it of us. It makes the rest of us look terrible. Yeah. So let's hear about it, Shane. Well, uh, I'm actually copycatting a gift that Mike did uh, for Danica's 30th birthday. Oh. So uh, this is a place called... Um, Mike? Uh, yes. <laughs> What's this place called? Yes, it's Prince Edward County. Yes, there's oh. this beautiful uh. place called <laughs> Prince Edward <laughs> County, but they have uh, you know the Drake Hotel. Yeah, very hip, cool, kind of awesome decor. Yeah, they have a place <laughs> in Prince Edward County called yeah. the Drake Devonshire. Yeah, and it's like five hundred and forty-eight bucks a night. What? Oh yeah, it's very expensive. And it's that much money? Yeah, but they give you fucking. Uh, massages and uh, <laughs> you know, dinner. You <laughs> I think you still have to pay for the dinner. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what room did you get? When we were there, we did like the Starlight Room, and and we did, oh we the, the Stargazers room. Yes. What with just the um, with just the hole in the roof. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I went a little better than that, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it is the cheapest. No. Room. Yeah. I'm in love with my girlfriend. So. <laughs> I went to the creek side because it's the only Whoa. one with the, it has the king size bed. Uh, you, have you given it to her yet? Yeah, I've I've told her about it because okay. she needs to take it off. It's actually March break for her. Okay, and she's but, in grade ten. Yes. <laughs> you make that joke every time. I'll never give that joke, yeah. and it's always right. <laughs> 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 but um, she Airbnb uh, since I could only afford two nights, obviously, and barely that I can afford the way you guys are paying me. And, <laughs> so, so the other uh, two nights are an Airbnb. So we're going to spend like four days out there. Uh, okay. And it's like some maple oh, cool. in festival. Oh, nice. So that sounds lovely. We're going to have a good time at this festival. Uh, okay, so that's happening. Do you want to move on to yes, the next? The next one. Okay, I'm going to be getting a tattoo. Yeah, what's this with, about? So how many tattoos do you have right now? 16, 16 tattoos. You have 16 yeah, tattoos? Yeah, man. I'm I kind of like the Tommy tattoos. Lee for our generation. <laughs> yeah. 
Where is the tattoo going to be? Uh, I don't know. Okay, what's the tattoo? I'm thinking uh, it might be on my arm or in my back at, back here, on my elbow. And what? it's uh, an onk. What? An onk? A-N-K-H. You'd know what it is, Julian. I have no idea what that is. Okay. <laughs> it's an onk. It's It looks like a cross with like a hood. Mm-hmm. It's... I don't know. Oh, and what is that? What's that supposed to mean? Oh, I don't oh, know. I know what you're talking about. It, it looks like the ace of base logo, or the prince logo. Like a, it's like a so, cross. So it's a cross, but the top part is a circle. wearing a little hood. Or it looks like you could but blow what, bubbles out of it. Yeah, yes. What, what, is, what, is it, what does that mean? What's it for? Uh, what does Michael J. Fox on my shoulder mean? I don't know. No, but Good why? story, man. But why an unk, though? Well, why did you chose that? Like Tiff, I didn't pick it. I can barely say it. Tiff, my sister Tiff picked is it. Is it religious at all? I don't know. You just <laughs> went along with it. I don't care. <laughs> so um Julian are, is our now our researcher on the pod. He's looking it up. Yeah, he's our assistant producer. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Uh, no, let's see what it means. Yeah, uh, we know what it looks like. Let's see what it means. Come on. Uh we're berating our new researcher. <laughs> yeah, our new intern. <laughs> Faster idiot. <laughs> um the Lauren said to me, She's like, Max, I think you look really cool with a tattoo. And I don't have any tattoos, and I don't think I'll ever get a tattoo. But I was like, what kind of tattoos would you like, you know, like the kind like Shane has or Sean Dawson? And I, and I've always thought your tattoos are very cool, right? And I but I just couldn't do it. Well, before we go, Julian, our new research oh, yeah. assistant, What's what on? does it mean? Julian, Lean it. into this mic. It's kind of obvious, but onk means at their most basic, onk tattoos represent life and the abundance available to mankind in living life, which is classic See, Shane. That's what I'm about, man. <laughs> I'm a spiritual guy. Classic Shane. <laughs> That's it. That's all. That's our episode. We'd like to thank our intern, Julian Foreman. Uh, <laughs> it's for, fantastic. Uh, yeah. Uh, you can follow us online at uh, Mike on Much. That's for Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a comment on iTunes. Uh, and tweet at us. We want to hear from you. We're, uh, what else is there? All the artwork for the Mike on Much podcast is done by Jenna Gregory. You can find her stuff at jennadoodles.com. A huge shout out to our team, you know, uh, Dan Carruthers. Amazing. He... Uh, is so on the ball with every all the social media stuff we get to do. Uh, big thanks to Greg. Oh, by the way, we got an email from Greg Stewart. Mentioned last week's pod. Yeah. Shane thought he annoyed the shit of him when he was drunk. But uh, Greg, uh, Greg said, no, that was my favorite conversation of the night. So shout out to Greg. Shout out to Justin Stockman. Uh, who, he makes this whole thing happen. Yeah, he's sort of like the executive producer, I like to call, probably on this show. Yeah. And uh, he, he listens to every podcast uh, before it goes out to make sure that it's uh, appropriate. That we don't get sued, that we, that we don't get, get fired. Yeah. He, he, you know, he got his MBA from, like, Cornell or something. That's a fact. By the way, no one will love the fact that you mentioned he got his MBA from Cornell more than Justin Stockman. Oh, really? Well, it's <laughs> Ivy League, baby. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, we're in good hands. The Michael Much Podcast is produced by Max Kerman, and I am your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend. Onk!